Hey, greetings, everyone. Lieutenant Colonel Alan West, and welcome to the Steadfast and Loyal Podcast. Hey, greetings, everyone. Welcome back to the Steadfast and Loyal Podcast. You know, it seems that everything that is happening in the United States of America, the progressive socialist left, is pointing toward racism. And most recently, we just heard Jane Fonda say that the whole thing about climate change is about white men and racism. And even if you are a person that is not white, it's still about white supremacy and racism. Case in point, here recently we had the uh, shooting at the Allen shopping center mall not too far away from where i live here in garland texas and the left came out immediately and said that this was about white supremacy even though the person that was the perpetrator who was shot and killed was a mexican and also a member of a mexican gang and even in memphis tennessee where we had sadly black police officers who killed a young black man it was about white supremacy and racism so I could not think of anyone better to kind of break this all down, to dissect it, try to make some sense of it for us to understand than my dear friend, Dr. Carol Swain. And Dr. Swain is an award-winning political scientist and former tenure professor at Princeton and Vanderbilt Universities. And being a University of Tennessee graduate, I won't hold that Vanderbilt thing against her. She is a distinguished senior fellow for constitutional studies with the Texas Public Policy Foundation. She has served on the Tennessee Advisory Committee to the U.S. Civil Rights Commission, the National Endowment for the Humanities, and the 1776 Commission. Because unfortunately, we have to remind people that America was not established in 1619. Dr. Swain is the author or editor of 11 books, including the bestseller Black Eye for America, How Critical Race Theory is Burning Down the House, co-authored with Christopher Shore. Her latest book is Countercultural Living, What Jesus Has to Say About Life, Marriage, Race, Gender, and Materialism. Her television appearances include ABC's Headline News, BBC Radio and TV, NPR, CNN's AC360, Fox and Friends, Just Janine, The Ingram Angle, and Tucker Carlson. She has published opinion pieces in the New York Times, the Washington Post, the Wall Street Journal, the Epoch Times, the Financial Times, and USA Today. Dr. Carol Swain is an entrepreneur, and her businesses include Carol Swain Enterprises, LLC, and Unity Training Solutions, LLC, which offers an alternative to diversity, equity, equity, and inclusion training, DEI. She holds five degrees, including a PhD from the University of North Carolina, Chapel Hill, and an MSL from Yale. Dr. Carol Swain, thanks so much for joining us on the Steadfast and Loyal podcast. It is so great to join you. And, you know, just like you, we have been observers of America all of our lives. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, you are, I believe, a little bit younger than I am, but I lived through 
when uh, systemic racism really did exist because yeah. I was born into the segregated South. Mm-hmm. And part of my story is that I watched it collapse. I watched America pass three major civil rights acts. I watched opportunities open up for people like me. And I'm dismayed by what I see today. You know, I'm just, I probably, you probably got me by a couple of days. Uh, I was born in 1961 down in Atlanta, Georgia. And uh-huh. those people that know my story, I was born in a blacks only hospital, Hughes Spalding Hospital. So I got a taste of the segregated South as well. And my uh-huh. dad was born in 1920, my mom in 1931. It, it is amazing to me with all of the things that this country has sought to overcome and turn the corner, yet we're still being told that we are a systemically racist country by yes. the people that really are the purveyors of systemic racism. Yeah, that's true. And uh, what is uh, you know just astonishing for me is the redefinition of white supremacy. Like mm-hmm. I published a book in 2002 titled The New White Nationalism in America, It's Challenged Integration. And what was new about it is that the um, old-style racism had just pretty much disappeared. They pro- there probably was not 2,000 KKK members in the whole country, but there were people that were using the language of the left, identity politics, and multiculturalism to make a logical argument that I felt was very persuasive. And they argued that white was like any other group, and that it was, if it was okay for uh, Hispanics and Asians and other groups to organize and, uh, and celebrate who they were, then white people ought to be able to do the same. And what I saw at that time was that the political left, the progressives, had created um, a justification really for identity politics. But I can tell you that when I did my research, a white supremacist was a white person who believed that because of their birth, their Caucasian heritage, that they uh, were superior to other groups. I bet you can't find a uh, hundred thousand whites in America. Uh, the, the country has what three hundred and fifty million people. Mm-hmm. Even if you said uh, there was five hundred thousand, that wouldn't be that many. That's not the issue we have today. The biggest issue I think we have today is the progressives who are so racist. And what they have done to our young people uh, is is uh, criminal because they encourage acts of violence and, uh, and heathenism on the part of our black youth. And then the videos get on Twitter and Facebook. And, uh, and these kids are acting barbaric. They're acting like they have uh, no training at all. And it hurts your uh, children and grandchildren, my children and grandchildren. It hurts everyone, you know, that has worked hard to raise good children when everyone else around them think that they're entitled to go in stores and help themselves to whatever's on the shelves. That is being encouraged by the left. And it is their desire to destroy race relations and use race as a dividing line among Americans. Well, you got to be careful, Dr. Swain, because now you're a black face of white supremacy. Uh, oh, and, I don't care what they uh, call me. But but it's just amazing <laughs> how they try to fit everything into this box. So how have they been successful? Because really the absurdity of what they are presenting and how they're trying to communicate it, it should be immediately discarded. So how have they been successful? The, the terrible, terrible thing about it, and you know this as well as I do, is that the progressives, they have 
twisted or co-opted many black leaders. And these people clamor for the racism. They uh, defend uh, the violence that takes place in the black community. They don't want black youth held to any type of standards, whether it's in the classroom or when they commit crimes. They don't want any standards whatsoever. And so I just think that um, they are doing this to destroy the race relations. They don't care about black people. They don't care about LGBT uh, people, whether we're talking about straight homosexuals or trans. They don't care about any of these groups. They're using them to divide Americans. And at the end of the day, what they want is the destruction of the United States of America. That's what it's all about. And if you trace all of these arguments, it goes back to uh, Marxism uh, economic and cultural Marxism. It's about destroying America. You know, you're absolutely right. That's all this is, is cultural Marxism. But how is it that they are able to, you know, put a name here, change a name there? You know, critical race theory, the diversity, equity, and inclusion, all of these things sound really nice, but their root is in cultural Marxism. And it really hurts me when I see this stuff is infiltrated even into the United States military, where I served 22 years of my life. They, how Go ahead. I mean, yeah, you know, the military, like uh, it wasn't that long ago when we pointed to the military as the uh, branch of government where race really worked, where they gave opportunities to people who were low income and people that were talented. And, uh, you know, and, and so people were able to advance through the ranks. And now it's all about social engineering. It's not about training people how to fight and win wars. And, uh, and focusing on the fact that when you bleed, all the blood looks the same. Mm -hmm. No, it's not about focusing on that. It's about weakening America. And uh, it's criminal. Uh, it could not be done without the cooperation of a lot of people from, you know, a lot of blacks, uh, leaders on the left are involved in it. And I think the worst thing that we can do is to allow ourselves to be used against our own nation. And when you talk about D, DEI, diversity, equity, and inclusion, or CRT, uh, these are related to affirmative action in the sense that when that 1964 Civil Rights Act passed, it prohibited discrimination on the basis of race, color, national origin, sex, and religion. Uh, and so we were all supposed to be equal under the law. Almost immediately, um, we got the second executive order instituting affirmative action. Now, affirmative action in my lifetime was mostly focused on non-discrimination, equal opportunity, advertising jobs. A lot of uh, young people, uh, you know, minorities got into colleges and universities, but they got in, they had to perform. They had to meet the standards or they ended up being flunked out. You could fail. You had an equal opportunity to succeed. You had an equal opportunity to fail. That's the environment that I went through. And what the left has done, because they believe, they truly believe that minorities are inferior, they have taken the most privileged generation of racial and ethnic minorities ever and lowered the standards for them so low that uh, they are graduating with college degrees and high school degrees and they really have not been educated. They have been miseducated.
You're absolutely right. And so when you talk about the real essence of racism, the soft bigotry of low expectations, you know, as you just said, seeing people is so inferior, they can't make make the standard. Hey, look, in the United States military is one standard. If you can't make the standard, you don't get promoted. You can't make the standard. You don't get to get airborne school or whatever. And now we're talking about this inclusion thing where I guess everybody should be able to go out there and fly. No standards for women. I mean, I mean, they don't seem to realize that that these men and women who volunteer to go into the military, they're supposed to be volunteering to risk their lives for their nation. And the worst thing you can do is put people there just because you want it to look like, uh, you know, the rainbow or, or whatever your vision is, uh, putting female soldiers in combat when they don't have the same physical capabilities of a man where they can be raped and molested, where they have to deal with issues that men don't have to deal with. Um, I mean, that is someone's vision of equality, but it's not in the interest of government service. Of course, women can fly BF bombers. There are lots of things they can do, but they certainly are not someone that should be uh, in combat, should be on the front lines. Um, uh, But women have always been a part of, of the military as nurses and all sorts of positions, there are some jobs that don't require physical strength, but they have lowered the standards for boot camp. You know this better than I do. I, I they have do. lowered the standards <laughs> to the point there are no standards. I could probably qualify to get into the military <laughs> if it weren't for my age. If it weren't for my age. Uh, we'll give you a waiver. Standards. We'll give you a waiver. You know, because it's all about <laughs> inclusion. Hey, this is what you do. You identify as a twenty two year old. And I'm, you're I, in hey, I'm trans young. Identify as a 22 year old. There you go. You know, and and speaking of which, let's talk about your latest book, Countercultural Living What Jesus Has to Say About Life, Marriage, Race, Gender, and Materialism. I think the body of Christ is so important uh, because, as Andrew Breitbart once said, politics flows downstream of culture. We cannot lose the culture war and think that we're going to make a difference in this country. What's your message uh, when it comes to countercultural living? What does Jesus have to say? not just to the body of Christ, but to all of us on these issues, because, of course, the left wants to say, hey, Jesus is love, and we're supposed to love everybody, blah, blah, blah. Well, I, I, there's a, a lot of stat. It's hard for me to hear, but I know you mentioned countercultural living, yeah. and that is my first Christian book that was published uh, uh, fall of 2021. And what I tried to do was, and I draw on my own life, and it's a short book. It's meant, you know, to be gotten through quickly. But whether we're talking about life, what is life? And what is life is about more than uh, abortion. It's about euthanasia. It's about physician suicide, assistant suicide. It's about um, these human-animal fusions that scientists are creating, these little creatures that they let live for longer and longer. Uh, life... Um, uh, it, it encompasses all of that. And we know from the Bible that God created man in his own image. We are all um, image bearers of God. And so no matter what uh, handicap a person has, uh, they are in the image of God and they should be treated in the image of God. And then about marriage, God performed the very first marriage when he brought Adam and Eve together. Mm-hmm. That was the very first marriage. And God has his own you know, standards. Uh, and uh, and guidelines about what makes a marriage work. I uh, wrote those chapters as a flawed, broken human being that did not come to Christ until she was in her 40s. 
uh, and I've had two failed marriages. That makes me an expert on marriage. I can tell you, well, maybe an expert on divorce too, but um, I can tell you that the world's way doesn't work. And uh, God's way seems to me is the only way that would work because God created marriage. When it comes to gender and all of these confusions, no, they're not 57 uh, genders. God created them male and female, and there are distinct differences. Now, there have always been people that have been confused or people that have had to struggle with issues, but God created them male and female. And uh, and then within God's uh, creation of male and female, there are certain roles and certain uh, behaviors and temperaments that males and females do differ. I mean, uh, uh, little girls and little boys do differ, even though we're trying to indoctrinate children now. Some people are saying that babies can be racist as early as six months, so you have to intervene. So they're creating, doing all these things to our children, but God created males and females. Left alone, children will, they, they know who they are, but confusing them, you know, when they're in kindergarten or preschool, that is evil. And then um, uh, the, the, we talk about materialism. Uh, materialism is about more than the acquisition of, of goods. It's anything you put before God. And it could be you want fame or, or, or whatever. You know, you're trying to accumulate anything you put before God is materialism. And it's something that God's word condemns. And so my little short book, it's probably not uh, more than 70 pages uh, with the five chapters, study questions at the end are designed for people that are Christians. They call themselves Christians. They're struggling with the culture. Some of them want to fit in. Some of them don't know God's word, but they were born into a Christian family. Uh, that book was written for them, and it was written by a flawed human being that lived in the world for 40-some years, and so I've met just about every mistake you can imagine, including an abortion. And I believe that it's important to be transparent. And so I'm transparent in my books uh, and in that one too. Well, you know, it says in the, in the Bible, for all have sinned and fallen short of the grace of God. And that's what saves us. You know, you live in Nashville, Tennessee. I do. And, and of course, we know what happened there at the Covenant Christian Academy. Yes. Has Nashville recovered? Has, has Nashville you know, responded strongly to, to what happened that day? Because the response that I saw was that no one wanted to talk about the six individuals that were shot, three of them nine-year-old children. Everyone wanted to talk about the shooter and mm -hmm. talk about this gender dysphoria. And that's why they stormed the Capitol because of the law that was passed there. Um, can we heal in Nashville, Tennessee, do you think? Well, what has happened in... Nashville is whatever happens whenever there's a crisis, especially a gun crisis. The political left, they don't have to think about the circumstances. They already know what they're going to do because they never let a crisis go to waste. And so immediately they made it about uh, gun control. And the fact that the, um, the shooter was trans, a trans male, which means that was a, she was a woman that wanted to be a man that was using a male name. The left is telling us all the time not to misgender trans people, but they chose to misgender this person by uh, referring to her as a she. She was a she, but when it serves their purposes, you know, they go to great lengths 
to use whatever identity the person claimed. This woman was claiming to be a male, so if they were going to be consistent, they would have said he. The shooter's manifesto has not been released. Any information, like she had all these diaries, not been released. And we know that if it was something that made conservatives look bad, it would be all over the New York Times. It would be everywhere. So clearly, uh, this person, you know, she may have had uh, drugs in her system, testosterone, because she acted like a man. This was not someone that had a history of violence, but we don't even know what kind of chemical she had in her body. But the left saw an opportunity to uh, grandstand uh, some of our legislators. They, I mean, and, and these guys, two of these guys were educated, you know, at, at, not, at, at elite schools. Um, they uh, had these big afros that looked like they stepped out of the 1960s. They looked like Superfly. And um, they're out there grandstanding with some white lady, some older white lady. I don't know what role she's play, playing in, the, in this whole thing. But um, it, it, it's been a, a show, a circus. You know, we just saw Black Lives Matter uh, claim bankruptcy. They were already morally bankrupt. Now they're financially bankrupt. How can we get our message out against this progressive socialist leftist move into the black community? You ran for mayor of Nashville. How can we start to chip away and make a difference? What's, what's the solutions that you see? Well, first of all, uh, I speak to every conservative. We need you need to know who you are and what are your values, because I see uh, conservatives, especially the legislators, seem to be grappling. They don't know how to vote. If you had to have a set of values and principles that you live by, you take every issue and you see how it stacks up against those values. I find that uh, conservatives are very afraid of being called names. Mm-hmm. And so the political left, they, they have an expertise in coming up with names and labels. And they for white people, they're going to be called racist uh, regardless of what they do. It doesn't matter. Even Hillary Clinton and her husband can be called racist. Any white person can be called racist. And it seems to work in most cases. Usually with the Democrats, uh, they get a free pass. But every now and then, they turn on them. And when it comes to issues that involve, uh, you know, transgenderism or homosexuality or protection of our children, if you are a conservative or you are a Christian conservative, you should have a a set of standards that you apply. And those standards should not waver just because of politics. And, um, you know, in Texas, uh, um, one of the issues that uh, the legislature, they did a great job. Uh, in this past session, they passed a number of, of bills, especially one I, you know, I think is very important. They became, um, you know, one of the first two states, and I believe their bill this bill is stronger than um, Florida's to end DEI in higher education. But they have not passed a parental choice bill, mm-hmm. and to me, uh, it's essential that parents uh, be given the role, their God-given role, to make decisions about their children. And uh, I mean, in a Republican legislature where they have the majority, now why should that bill be uh, 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 lagging? What's the problem there? There's a problem when you find people that are so worried about uh, the next election, they put their own interests above that of the nation as a whole. So you ask me what we can do, 
I, we, first, as conservatives, we need to look at ourselves first, and we need to ask ourselves, what are our values and principles? What are we willing to die for, if anything? And then we need to, um, uh, you know, tr truly focus on what we believe. And I think if we um, are good examples, good moral examples uh, for the rest of society, we're going to be able to persuade people. And if we are Christians, you know, we have a, 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 a we have a set of values and principles that we should know. Every conservative is not a Christian, uh, but every Christian should be a conservative. Amen to that. I mean, there are a lot of people shouting hallelujah in church on Sunday and completely Monday through Saturday voting interests and values that are antithetical to what they are shouting about on Sunday. What's next for Dr. Carol Swain? What's on your heart? Where, where do you think God is leading you? You said, what's on my heart? No, yeah, what's on your heart? What's next for Dr. Carol Swain? Where do you think God is leading you? Well, I mean, I'm working on two books. Um, one, uh, I hope to release shortly after the Supreme Court makes its decision, and it has to do with DEI and affirmative action. Those two issues are deeply intertwined, uh, and it's a positive book because I believe that once we get past DEI and affirmative action, we can actually make progress in those areas where there are disadvantaged people that have been left behind, whether they're white, black, Hispanic, or whatever they call themselves. I think that uh, the left's DEI and uh, affirmative action, that those programs have lost their way. They have their own, uh, you know, they've set up an industry, a cottage industry. They're not reaching the people that need to be helped. And we need to get away from discriminatory governmental policies towards non-discrimination. So I'd like to see that happen. And then I'm working on my memoir. Um, people mm. may not know, or maybe the whole world knows that I was a high school dropout. I was one of 12. I was born and raised in rural poverty, married at 16, had my first child at 17. I got a high school equivalency uh, in my when I was 20. And then I went to a community college, got the first of five college and university degrees. I graduated magna cum laude with my bachelor's degree while working full-time. I went to Princeton, was steered in that direction from advisors. Many of the people, almost all of them, didn't look like me. I was successful in academia, and I believe that I'm one of the first persons in America, faculty, that was canceled. And I left academia in 2017. Back then, we didn't call it cancel culture. Um, but I was on the leading edge of being canceled. And um, I, right now, I believe God has called me to speak truth, not to be afraid, to be out front. And that's what I do. And I very much believe that the, the world is my classroom. And God has called me, you know, to speak uncomfortable truths and not to worry about what they can do to me. I think that the progressives have tried to destroy me as they do every conservative and yet I stand, and um, I will stand, and I will fight as long as God needs me or he wants me to, and when he's finished with me, he'll take me home, and I'll be even better off. Well, hopefully you will hear him say, well done, thy good and faithful servant. Amen. You know, Dr. Carol Swain, without a doubt, you are the embodiment of the American dream. You're the embodiment of equality of opportunity, and you should be a role model out there for not just young black women, but for all men and women across this country. Where can people follow you and stay in touch with your work? Okay, I'm on Twitter 
my handle is Carol M. Swain. I'm on Facebook as Dr. Carol M. Swain. And as you know, Facebook suppresses. But I'm on Facebook. I'm on Getter. I'm on Truth Social. And I have a uh, two websites. One is carolmswain.com. Another is uh, Be The People News. I have a business called Unity Training Solutions. And if you uh, Google Unity Training Solutions, my website will come up. And I'm doing, you know, I'm an entrepreneur and I'm creative. I'm a visionary and I love the Lord. And I, you know, I'm just hoping to be used um, uh, as, as long as God wants to use me. I've answered the call of Isaiah. Here I am, Lord. Send me. Well, you're a humble and incredibly successful woman, and we thank you for joining us on this episode of the Steadfast and Law podcast. Dr. Carol Swain, God bless you and God keep you. Hey, ladies and gentlemen, thank you so very much for joining us for this episode of the Steadfast and Law podcast. A special thanks to our dear friend and guest, Dr. Carol Swain, for taking time out of her busy schedule. As always, if you like this podcast, please click the like button and share it with others. And until next time, steadfast and loyal. Before they burn it down.